People ask why there are no miracles today. I believe every act done in love is a kind of miracle. When I was a few weeks short of 14, a knock on my bedroom door woke me up about 11 o'clock. A close friend of my parents was knocking. The first thing I wondered was why was she at our house so late? She hadn't been there when I went to bed. Soon, I knew why. She had the terrible task of telling me my father had died in a car accident. I dressed and went into our living room where eight or so of my parents' friends were gathered. With their chairs drawn into a circle, they were comforting each other and ready to care for my mother, my sisters, and me. They did what was most needed. They kept vigil with us all night. Very early the next morning, the doorbell rang. A neighbor brought us a huge pan of hot cinnamon rolls. You know how wonderful fresh-baked cinnamon rolls smell. The aroma alone was a comfort. She wouldn't come in and hardly said a word, but her gift and her sweet, sympathetic smile spoke volumes. She must have been up for hours in order to bring fresh, hot cinnamon rolls so early. These people, friends of my parents, a neighbor I hardly knew, were the kind of church that existed in Jesus' days. They were diverse people from lots of different backgrounds, including fishermen. They were Methodists. These people were Methodists and Baptists and Presbyterians. No Episcopalians in Malvern. <laughs> there may have been one or two who hadn't seen the inside of a church since they were married. <laughs> or their children were baptized. But together, they were the church, witnessing to God's love and compassion. The church of which we were members was also there. Within its structure, it too was a living, breathing organism, creating harmony as beautiful as the sun, moon, and stars, like your beautiful window. They prepared flowers and music. They swept the steps and made casseroles. They prayed, and there was a homily. What does one say when a 34-year-old husband and father of four dies? They did their best, and it was very good. And they were there for us all the years to come. All of these people, the friends, the bread baker, the pastor and teacher, organist and choir, the sexton and ushers came as one in love and unity to care for us, just as Jesus cared for friends and strangers alike in his day. It is a miracle that a 13-year-old could be comforted, fed, and loved enough to carry on. I adored my daddy. When his best friend said he would never again love a friend like he loved my daddy, I knew that wasn't what I believed. I knew it was better to love and lose someone than to never love him at all. It is a miracle that I understood a miracle born of Christ-like love which had been shared with me. Today, the miracles of Jesus, like feeding 5,000 on a hillside, or walking on water to rescue frightened disciples, healing, may be hard for us to swallow at face value. Whether the facts of the story are true is not the most important part. The meaning behind the facts tells us who Jesus was, Marcus Borg calls this the more-than-literal meaning, more-than-literal. 
Rightly, we question what we hear in Scripture. We know there are many levels of meaning. We know, there, we know too much about science to refrain from asking, can a person walk on water without a raft or a boat or even water skis? We are more comfortable with facts and figures in our scientific age. Maybe we can't say how he got there, but we do know that Jesus hurried to calm his frightened disciples. Marcus Borg was a professor, and he told how when he was teaching, his students would sometimes get into these arguments or discussions about whether or not something was literally true. And he would say, when you've settled that, then we'll talk about the meaning. Miracles have an interesting history. The early Christians saw no reason to question miracles. Their belief in God's power was strong and scientific knowledge was in the future. When I was a teenager, they were questioned. My teachers wrestled with faith and science. And they explained how these reports of miracles could happen. Feeding the 5,000 was only one of two I really remember. I explained there was enough food for all the people and even some left over because of the boy's example of giving away his two fish and five loaves. Everyone was then moved to be generous. They pulled whatever they had from their bags and cloaks and pockets and shared with their neighbors. What does it mean that Jesus fed 5,000 people? It meant that he was the bread of life. Most importantly, this miracle shows the abundance of life in Jesus, both physical and spiritual. Somehow, some way, there is plenty for everyone. We can see as God sees when we will. Whether we believe in miracles at face value is not as important. What we have in common with all Christians in every time is the capacity to see that each miracle revealed something about God and God's kingdom. We can see who God is when we look for meaning in what Jesus did. God's desire for us is to be loved, loved and to love, and to be nourished and fed and healed. Jesus fed people who were hungry in body and hungry in spirit. In addition to those who followed Jesus across the sea that day, Nicodemus is a good example. The Nicodemus who climbed a tree so he could see Jesus, he had plenty to eat, but he wasn't satisfied until he found Jesus. Jesus feeds us every time we break bread together in communion, whether at the altar of our church or anywhere we meet to eat and give thanks for our life in him. Life in Christ is abundant life. Other miracles reveal more about God, comfort and forgiveness. Jesus healed people of their illness and of fear and loneliness. How lonely the woman Jesus found at the well must have been. She came for water at noon, not the traditional time, so she wouldn't have to face any more women. How frightened the woman who was about to be stoned. Jesus offered forgiveness to the woman at the well who had had seven husbands and to the men who would stone no greater a sinner than they were. Jesus forgave old people and young people, rich people and poor people. 
He didn't treat murderers any differently than people who were stingy or arrogant. There were no little sins or big sins. All sin separates us from God and each other. Jesus forgave all sinners and turned our hearts grow forgiving. Jesus showed his disciples how to live. He trusted them to carry on, to show the next generation how to live. He sent the Holy Spirit to guide them and to guide us. Generation after generation of people have shown through their lives what we need to know about love, God's love, and how to love. Whether we notice or not, there are miracles every day, miracles in which we can participate with God's help. When I remember the powerful healing presence of friends and neighbors and my church when my father died, I know we too can be an instrument of God's miracles. We each have gifts to exercise whenever the moment arises. Our prayers give us eyes to see opportunities and the courage and strength to offer ourselves and our gifts to others. People ask me what they can do about this or that. I tell them, when you perceive a need and want to do something, say your prayers. Offer the opportunity and yourself to God. Then listen without words until the Holy Spirit lets you know what to do and what not to do. And we just know when the Holy Spirit speaks to us. Jesus is the bread of life. He gives us everything we need to do the work we are called to do, even miracles.